Chapter Sixteen of North Pole Voyages by Zaharia A. Mudge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Sixteen: Drugged Eskimo. The visitors slept in the morning. We were now all well, except Stevenson. Though we had just eaten and were refreshed, in a few days we might be starving, so we renewed our planning. To open a communication with the advance seemed a necessity. Peterson volunteered to make another effort if he could have one companion. Bonsall promptly answered, I will be that companion, at which we all rejoiced, as he was the fittest man for the journey next to the Dane. A dog team and a sledge were an acquisition now most needed for the proposed enterprise. In a few days an old man came in, whom we had never seen, belonging far up Whale Sound. Then came a hunter from Akbat with his family. Of these men, after much bartering, we purchased four dogs. Peterson commenced at once the manufacture of a sledge out of the wood left of the Hope. All of his excellent skill was needed to make a serviceable article with his poor tools and materials. On the 20th of November the sledge was nearly finished, and a breakfast on our last piece of meat assured us that what was done for our rescue must be done soon. But God's hand was, as usual, open to supply us. In the evening a fox was found in our trap. Stephenson, who had been cheered by our tea, received the last cup. We were reduced to stone moss, boiled in blubber, and coffee, and a short allowance of these, when two hunters left us three birds, on which we supped. We were now out of food. The Eskimo had most of them gone north, owing to the failure of game at the south. Soon all would be gone. Further discussion led us to the conclusion that they must all return to the advance, and start soon, unless we choose to die where we were. So we commenced preparations for the desperate enterprise. To carry out this plan, it was absolutely necessary to have two more dogs, for which we must trust to our Eskimo visitors. A sledge drawn by six dogs could convey our small outfit and poor invalid Stephenson. We purposed to direct our course straight for Northumberland Island, which we hoped to reach by lodging one night in a snow hut. For each person there must be a pair of blankets. Our clothing was wholly insufficient for such a journey, so we set at work to improve it the best we could. Our buffalo robes had been spread upon the stone brick for beds. They were of course frozen down. In some places solid ice of several inches thickness had accumulated, into which they were embedded. When disengaged, as they had to be with much care and great labor, the underside was covered with closely adhering pebble stones. The robes were hung up to dry before we could work upon them. We now slept on a double blanket spread on the stones and pebbles, a sleeping which refreshed us as little as our moss food. We now, under the instructions of Peterson, cut up the buffalo robes and sewed them into garments to wear on our journey. We refreshed ourselves with frequent sips of coffee, of which fortunately we had a plenty, and made out one meal at night on walrus hide, boiled or fried in oil, as we fancied. It was very tough eating. At the close of the second day's tailoring, four hunters came in from Agbat, 
with five women and seven children. We stowed them all away for the night, and gladly did so for the opportunity of purchasing forty-eight small birds, a small quantity of dried seal meat, and some dried seal intestines imperfectly cleansed. But better, if possible, was the purchase of two dogs. Our team of six was complete. The hand of the great provider was plainly manifested. The visitors were soon gone, but the four hunters came back the next day. They were bent on mischief. They stole or tried to steal whatever they saw, and seemed glad to annoy us. Unfortunately for us, close upon their heels came another party, from the south also, and equally bent on mischief. Among them was an old evil-eyed woman, Whatever she saw she coveted, and all that she could she stole. Going to her sledge as the party was about to start, we found a mixed collection of our articles, some of which could have been of no use to her. But we had missed two drinking cups which we could not find. We charged her with the theft, but she protested innocence. We threatened to search her sledge, and she straightway produced them, and to conciliate us, threw down three sea-fowl. We were gladly thus conciliated. The whole party became so troublesome that we were compelled to drive them away. The hunters lingered about, intending, we feared, to steal our dogs, two of which were purchased of them. We set a watch until they seemed to have left the vicinity, but no sooner was the sentinel's back turned that one of them and one of the dogs were seen scampering off together. Mansal seized his rifle and a sudden turn round a rock by the thief saved him from the salutation of an ounce of lead. On the twenty-ninth of November we were ready for a start. Our outfit was meagre enough. It consisted of eight blankets, a field lamp, and a kettle, two tin drinking cups, coffee for ten days, eight pounds of blubber, and two days' meat. This last consisted of sea-fowls boiled, boned, and cut into small pieces, they were frozen into a solid lump. We hoped to be at Northumberland Island in two days and get fresh supplies. The sled was taken out through the roof of the hut, loaded, and the load well secured, and poor Stephenson carried out and placed on top of it. The dogs were then harnessed and we moved away. The thermometer was forty-four degrees below zero when we left the hut, but it was calm and the moon shone with a splendid light. We were weary and ready to faint at the end of one hour. How then could we endure days of travel? The sledge was a poor one. The runners, the best our material afforded, were rough, and the dogs could not drag the sledge without two of us pushed, which we did in turn. We had thus gone about eight miles, when Stephenson said he could walk. This we refused to let him do, knowing his extreme weakness but soon after he slid off the sledge. Dr. Hayes assisted him to rise, and supported his attempt to walk. He had thus gone about a mile when he fell and fainted. Near us was an iceberg, in whose side was a recess, something like a grotto. In this we bore our companion, and added to the shelter by piling up blocks of snow. The lamp was lighted to prepare him hot coffee, for some time he remained insensible, and when he came to himself, he begged us to leave him and save ourselves. He could never, he said, reach the advance, and he might as well die then as at a later hour. 
Go without Stephenson we would not. Go with him seemed impossible. In fact, we were all too weary to take another step, so we concluded to camp. But this, after unloading our sledge and making some effort we could not do, we had no strength to make a hut, and we were already bitten by the frost. So we resolved to repack the sledge and return to the hut. All arrived at the hut that day, but how and exactly at what time we did not know, only that some were an hour behind others, and that several finished the journey by creeping on their hands and knees. We had just enough consciousness left to bring in our blankets and spread them on those we left on the brack, and to close up the hole in the roof. We then lay down and slept through uncounted hours. When we awoke, it was nearly noon. Though hungry, cold, and weak, we were not badly frostbitten. The first desirable thing was a fire. The tinder-box with its thick things could not be found. The one having it in charge remembered it was used at the burg, and this we all knew, and that was all anyone knew about it. Without this we could have no fire. Never before in all our exigencies was such a feeling of despair expressed on our countenances. In this plight one, in attempting to walk across the tent, struck something with his foot. We all knew the tinder-box by its rattle. Our lamp was soon lighted, coffee was made, and half of our meat warmed. The other half was given to Peterson and Bonsall, who started immediately to go, as we had once before planned, to the brig, while the rest remained in the hut. Dr. Hayes and Zontag accompanied them to the shore. The last words of the noble Peterson were, If we ever reach the ship we will come back to you, or perish in the attempt so sure as there is a god in heaven. Four days passed, after our companions left us, of accumulating misery. The hut was colder than ever, and we were in utter darkness most of the time. Our food was now scraps of old hide, so hard that the dogs had refused it. In this our condition of absolute starvation, three hunters, with each a dog team, came to us from Netlik, one of whom was Kalutuna. They entered our hut with only two small pieces of meat in their hands, enough for a scanty meal for themselves. We appropriated one piece to ourselves without ceremony. The visitors frowned and protested, but this was not a moment with us for words. We soon satisfied or seemed to satisfy them by presents, and both pieces were soon steaming. Dr. Hayes renewed his proposal for the Netlik people to carry us to the advance. Kalutuna refused curtly. Would they let teams to us for that purpose? No. The spirit of the refusal was, we won't help you. We know you must starve, and we desire you to do so, that we may possess your goods. It was evident they understood our desperate condition perfectly. These convictions of their purposes and feelings were confirmed when one of our number found buried in the snow, near their sledges, several large pieces of bear and walrus meat. These they were evidently determined we should not taste. Kalutuna did not pretend that destitution or short supplies at Nedlik made the journey to the brig inconvenient, but as if to taunt us said that a bear, a walrus and three seals had been taken the day before. The case, then, as we saw it, stood thus. 
six civilized men must die because three savages who had plenty choose to let them that they might be benefited by their death we at once and unanimously decided that it should not be so and that the eskimo should not thus leave us not willing to do them unnecessary harm dr hayes proposed to give them a dose of opium then to take the dogs and sledge and push forward to northumberland island leaving them to come along at their leisure when they awoke we could we thought push forward fast enough to be out of the reach of any alarm that might reach netlik to this proposal all agreed to carry it into execution we became specially sociable and free with our presence to crown the freeness of our hospitality we set before them the stew just prepared into which dr hayes had turned slyly when it was over the fire a small vial of laudanum to prevent any one getting an overdose it had been turned out into three vessels an equal portion for each it was of course very bitter they at first swallowed it very greedily but tasting the bitter ingredient only ate half of it the next few moments were those of intense anxiety would it stupefy them soon however their eyes looked heavy and their heads drooped they begged to lie down and we tucked them up this time in our blankets we were in our travelling suits ready for a start dog whips at hand as a last act godfrey reached up to the shelf for a cup and down came its entire contents with a startling noise dr hayes put out the light with his mitten and cuddled down instantly by the side of kalutuna the chief awoke as was feared grunted and asked what was the matter the dogty patted him and whispered singikuk sleep he laughed muttered something and was soon snoring fearing from this incident that we could not trust the soundness nor length of time of their sleep we carried off their boots coats and mittens that they might be detained in the tent until relief came stephenson was most fortunately better than he had been for some time being able to carry a gun and walk all the firearms being secured dr hayes stood at one side of the door outside with a double-barreled shotgun and stephenson on the other with a rifle the purpose was if they awoke to compel them at the mouths of the guns to drive us north sontag and the others brought up the most of the meat which was buried in the snow and put it in the passageway this would last five or six days and keep the prisoners from starving until help came the dogs being harnessed we mounted the sledges and once more turned our backs on fort desolation the dogs objected decidedly to this whole proceeding they especially disliked their new masters and were determined on mischief john and godfrey were given by their team a ride a mile straight off the coast instead of alongside of it as they desired to go dr hayes was worse used by his they drew in different directions went pell-mell first this way then that at one time carrying him back nearly to the hut finally they became subdued apparently and sped swiftly in the way they were guided the other sledges had in the meantime dropped into the desired course all seemed to be going well when just as the doctor's dogs had shot by the other teams they suddenly turned round some to the right and others to the left turning the sledge over backward and rolling the men into the snowdrift 
the doctor grasped firmly the upstander of the sledge, and was dragged several yards before he recovered his feet. As the dogs at this moment were plunging through a ridge of hummocks, the point of the runner caught a block of ice. The traces of all the dogs excepting two snapped, and away went the freed dogs to their imprisoned masters. They yelped a taunting defiance as they disappeared in the distance. The doctor and Mr. Stephenson, taking each a dog, went to the other teams, and we were again on the fly, leaving the third sledge jammed in the hummock. We reached in safety the southern point of Cape Perry, found a sheltering cave, and camped. End of chapter 16